Please be seated. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Leviticus 19. We are slowly working through, the, at least at this point, only the first five books of the Bible, but it, just trying to get a, a path. How do you get from Genesis uh, to, to Jesus uh, to us? And the Old Testament is notorious for being full of characters that you say, I don't want to be like those guys when I grow up because they're a mess. Um, and as you're going to see, there's lots of different laws that we go, I have no idea how to apply that to us. You know, it, it just becomes a battle. It's easy to get lost in the weeds uh, trying to find how this whole story is one story leading to Jesus, and, and it is. So uh, we're, we're going to read through this section of Leviticus. Next week we'll, we'll jump into Numbers. And uh, yeah, I'll just encourage you as we're moving from book to book, if you haven't, aren't reading along, just to go read it ahead of time so you can bring any questions or confusions. If there's something really thorny, I'd be happy to talk about it and or just we can take a detour and preach a sermon on it as well. So um, I'm picking big landmarks that are, that are uh, common questions or just really good places to see how this fits. Um, give you categories. Uh, let's, let's read Leviticus 19 verses 1 to 18 and we'll meditate on the, the gospel this morning. See, it says, this is the word of our God, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord, your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day sh shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. 
I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And this is God's word. He has spoken to us today. And well, as he said to, in, in Hebrews and in Psalm 95, may we not harden our hearts as God's people of old did. May he soften us. May we hear and obey. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, I pray you would use this passage not only to just better understand uh, what you said, but also to form us into an image of your followers uh, who love one another because you first loved us. And for that to happen, we need to see Jesus clearly again, uh, whose love for us happened while we were still enemies. And for that kind of love to fill us, we, we, we need you to fill us with the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So may you do those things for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I got a taste of some of these laws and... Uh, you know, the, the Bible scholars have counted there are 613 different laws relating to the construction of the tabernacle, all the worship laws, um, controlling your behavior, right, how we should live, our morals, as well as just how do you solve conflict, the judicial laws. And we'll, we'll talk about these things. And one of my favorite psalms describes God's law like this. This is Psalm 19. And see if this was your experience as you heard me read. God's law is more desirable than gold. It's sweeter than honey. Uh, to have that attitude that it that tastes good, it is sweet. To hear God tell me what to do, and I want to do it. <laughs> it goes on in Psalm 19 to say the law revives the soul. Right? You become a new person. You don't know how to make good choices in life, right? The simple, you're open, you're trying to everything. The law will make you wise. Uh, it gives joy to the upright to have God tell us what to do. Right? And so, is that your experience in reading Leviticus? Right? Sweeter than honey. No, I, I know the more common reaction both in the church and outside the church, it goes something like this. Uh, Christians so often are hypocrites because it feels like all you do is pick and choose which laws you want to obey from the Old Testament. Right? We love, the world needs more people to love their neighbor as themselves. That's great. But then uh, you, you completely ignore verse 19, which we didn't read, which says, you shall not wear clothing made of two different kinds of material. And yet you Christians are always rocking your cotton blend t-shirts. <laughs> right? Or to put it another way, we uphold the sex ethic of Leviticus 18, 19, and 20. And yet, these same Christians will eat bacon and bunnies. Right? And so here's one example of uh, somebody wrestling and, and saying, I don't like, you know, Christians don't, aren't consistent. This is the accusation. There's a guy named Matthew Vines who's, who's trying to make a case why you, don't, you can just ignore the laws in Leviticus. I'm obviously arguing the opposite. <laughs> but he said, look, this is what he writes. The entire Old Testament law code is never applied to Christians in light of Christ's death. That's not true, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, 
But he says Leviticus condemns eating pork, rabbit, shellfish, cutting hair at the sides of one, one's heads. And he, you just make the whole list. And he says none of these things Christians continue to observe. And so his conclusion is we can just ignore what we just read. Because, because Jesus died and rose again. Uh, Andy Stanley, he's a pastor of a big church down south, and he, he made a pretty good stir online by saying Christians should unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. And really what he meant, you know, he talked about it later, is I don't want people to reject Jesus because they've read Leviticus. Um, the problem is, as you start to read the New Testament, you know what happens? Jesus says over and over again, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the second greatest commandment out of all the priorities in your life, right? Love the Lord your God. The second thing you should be aiming at is, is your neighbor. And that's here in Leviticus. So there's something there that's important. Uh, you shall be holy because the Lord God is holy. That's First Peter saying this. It's the same uh, thing should control our behavior. Uh, we're being formed in the image of our God. Leviticus is quoted several times approvingly in the New Testament, so you can't ignore it or avoid it. And so what we're going to have to do this morning is, is work out how does, do these Old Testament laws uh, apply to us as Christians so we can answer that question of being hypocrites, uh, that we're, not be, we're being consistent within the Bible. Um, and then what I want to do after that is say, well, Let's look at loving your neighbors yourself and what, what that looks like. And so first part's going to be technical, second part's pastoral, uh, the, but they're both helpful. And so first question, how do, should and do and have Christians read and read the Old Testament law? Um, you remember last week, Pastor Jim gave this uh, pretty helpful illustration, I think, about the law that... Uh, you know, before Moses, before God gave all these commands, the way it was like is imagining a road with no speed limit posted. And, and folks would fly down that road at like 70, 90 miles per hour or something insane. Right? And then no matter how much that drives you crazy and say that's stupid, foolish, dangerous, that's just wrong, they're innocent in the eyes of the law. Right? Even though you know that's not loving your neighbor, that's not wise, that's... that's standing up against the life of your neighbor because of what could go wrong um, until you get the law written down, legislated, codified. Um, what was sin isn't shown to be sin until you have the law. Right? And so that is what is happening in here in Leviticus 19. God is writing down how God's people ought to live in his presence He's, he's legislating what a life of love for him and for the neighbor uh, looks like because God is with them. And so to be able to figure out which laws apply to us, which lies, laws were, well, it was an ancient Near Eastern uh, theocratic political nation that is not the church, right, Israel, um, we need these some helpful categories. And so I just want to just like, we're just going to hang some nails. We're going to lay some foundation. And they'll just give you categories. When you read this, you can say, all right, I'm going to plug this law over here. And so I know whether I need to listen to it or I just need to meditate on it to find out whether there's, 
something true for all times and all people. So let's start here. This is a covenant. This is part of God's covenant uh, relationship to his people. And you hear that over and over again, because if you read the whole chapter, do you know how many times the passage says, I am the Lord your God. We are bound together. I am your God, you are my people. Seven times. It's a number of completion, wholeness. And if that wasn't enough, it also says, I am the Lord, eight more times. And that's just chapter 19. Right? So repetition is telling you, in the context of the law, remember who loved you first, Israel. Remember who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. Remember who has claimed you by grace and grace alone. Remember who has set his affection on you. Out of all the peoples on the earth, uh, this is the Lord, Yahweh. He is your God. Right? In other words, the way we read the law is remembering that the reason you obey is because of the God that you claim to follow and worship and who dwells with you. It's a covenant relationship. Right? And the, I mean, as always, the, the simplest way to understand this is in the co- covenant context of a marriage relationship. There are um, laws in our household that, that only apply to me and only apply to Bethany because we l- we're married, right? Nobody, uh, ex- nobody, Bethany is not expecting everyone else to text her uh, when you're going to be late for dinner, <laughs> right? That is a very personal covenant context. Um, and so... God is saying in very specific terms, remember who I am and who you are. I am the Lord, your, right, personal God. You shall observe all my statutes and keep all my rules. I am the Lord. Um, which also leads to, to see that there is, um, right, there's the covenant context. This is a personal thing. Uh, Got to see the priorities, right? It, Leviticus doesn't say you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that this is the first greatest commandment. That's Deuteronomy. We'll get there. But 15 times it says, I am the Lord. You you can't escape that the reason you should live this life of love as God has defined it is because of who the Lord is and your love for and your realization of who he is. When it's saying, I'm the Lord, your God, it's giving God a name. Right? Because this is Yahweh. Because this is the Lord who rescued from slavery in Egypt. And because that is the same Lord, your God, who created all things, therefore, um, obey. See, part of why the reason I'm saying that is what, what we can't do is read Leviticus 19 and just grab, I like the love your neighbors yourself command. <laughs> Everybody should do that. Um, right? Just be a decent person. You can't grab that out of context and say it doesn't matter what God you worship, just, just love people. In, the, in the, the logic of a covenant of, of who God is in his particular character, what it's saying is, if you know me, if you have received my gift, here's then how you should live. Right? We'll talk about the power to love, but right? Leviticus makes very clear, loving your neighbor as yourself 
is something you should only attempt when you have and know the Lord. I am the Lord, your God. Therefore, (laughs) obey. Therefore, love. And that is all rooted. This is another, right, where we got the the covenant nail. We've got the priority, right? You, You can't just, we're talking about morals, but you need to know the Lord your God. You know which God you're talking about. Now, the third nail I want you to see, um, it, there's a transformational purpose. Uh, it's, it's rooted, the laws are always rooted in God's character. Right? It's verse 2. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Right? What is God saying here? I am dwelling with you, and the power of my presence, my desire for you, my command to you, is become like me. Um, right? The laws are designed to, to demonstrate, uh, to reflect God's character through the way God's people live together. Right? That they may be holy as he is holy, that they may be distinct in a particular, in his character and love, the way he is distinct and unique <laughs> in his character. Right? In other words, it's God saying to Israel, Israel, my son, whom I love, I'm giving you the law that you may grow up and be like me. Yeah, you can jump to Proverbs. Uh, my son, bind these commandments around your neck. Um, May you see these commandments as like precious jewels, like gold, like honey, so that in doing so, you might be my son and reflect my image. All right, that's, that's what the law is about. It's about you and I, if, assuming we're doing this <laughs> in the power of the Spirit, and we'll talk about that, uh, reflecting the character of God in, in the world. All right, so to look at some of these laws we read, don't lie. Why should you not lie? Because God is a God of truth, and he cannot lie. Uh, don't steal. Right? It's telling you something about God's character, that, it, that uh, he's, he's a generous God. He promises to provide for his people. Um, don't oppress your neighbor or rob him. It's telling you that God cares about justice and that he's not a tyrant, and therefore his people should not be tyrants. Don't be ruthless like Pharaoh. Um, don't do any injustice in court. This is another way of saying, in your justice system as you live together, you shouldn't play favorites based on power or money or influence. Um, right? Because the Lord is a God of justice and he shows no partiality. He does not play favorites. Right? That's what God is like. That's what he wants us to be like. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Don't take vengeance. What's that telling you? The, that, that the Lord your God is slow to anger. He's not the kind of God who bears grudges. He's abounding in mercy. He forgives iniquity. Right? God's character should shape the way we live together. He forgives sin. And so part of the reason, right, Christians have continually for 2,000 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, have gone back and said, 
yeah, these Old Testament moral laws have a lot to teach us. It's because they're grounded and rooted in who God is and what he's like. And because he hasn't changed, um, the laws still, the moral laws, I should say, right? They still stand. They still apply to us. They still have wisdom, right? They have the power, should we listen and obey, to create order out of the chaos of our own selfishness, to love as God loves, to live according to his commands, right? And so that's, that's the heart of what the law is telling you. The more you know God, the more you're going to love his law. And the more you love his law, the more you're going to imitate the Lord who gives you his law. One more purpose, right? We're, we're hammering a bunch of nails here. Um, it's designed to change us. Uh, the, the, the last purpose here is it's, God's law has a missional purpose. And you don't, chapter 19 is in a, a context. Uh, on both sides, there are Leviticus 18 and 20. And in Leviticus 18, verse 2, if you can turn, turn a page over here, this is what it says. I am the Lord your God. Don't do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan where you're going to live, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk, not walk in their statute. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So, chapters 18 and 20 18 through 20, I should say. Why are all these laws given? Israel, so that you may not act like your neighbors, that you may look different. Um, right? You're going to go into Canaan, to the promised land. Don't sacrifice your children to their gods the way they do. It's a, it's a good thing. I think most people would agree. <laughs> right? Chapter 18, it's also telling you, don't give in to every sexual desire the way they did in Egypt and Canaan. Um, or um, another one. Here's, here's, here's a good Leviticus command that people wrestle with. Don't cut yourself or tattoo yourself. This is to get God's attention. That's chapter 19, 28. Why? Because that's how these surrounding nations worshipped and, and acted. Right? You remember the story of Elijah? and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. There was this competition to see whether <clears throat> God is real and alive. And Elijah said, all right, let's get all these prophets. <clears throat> Excuse me here. And so they set up an altar and said, you know, pray out to your God. And whoever sends down fire from heaven and burns up the whole offering, they're the real God. That's who you should listen to. And so they did. They set up a, an altar, and the prophets of Baal prayed and prayed and prayed and got nothing for like six hours, right? And Elijah started mocking them mercilessly. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he had a bad chalupa, right? Maybe he says he's actually relieving himself is what it says. Or maybe he's just sleeping, right? Your God, what's he doing? He doesn't care about you. And you know what they start doing? They get out swords and lances and just start slicing themselves to the point where blood is just gushing all over the ground because they're trying to get their God to hear them, to respond to them, 
to act for them. Elijah just prays, and the Lord calls down fire, demonstrating who is real. So when it says in 1928, don't cut yourself, don't tattoo yourself, it's saying don't act like your neighbors who are using these as part of their, their worship rituals because the Lord your God is not a God you need to harm yourself to get his attention. Right? And so this is a really helpful category. A lot of the whole law is designed by God so that Israel would look different. Um, that they would be a blessing to the nations by living and loving differently because they know the God who is. Right? We worship a God who doesn't demand self-harm. And he, he hears our cries. That's something different. Right? Tattoos would be similar, right? In the ancient world, you would brand yourself, tattoo yourself to say, this is who I belong to. I belong to this God. What does Isaiah said? Right? Your names are engraved on my hands. You don't need to tattoo yourself to prove, to demonstrate who you belong to. God has claimed you by his word. So don't tattoo yourself. It's a very specific ancient Near Eastern Israelite command that has missional purposes. And so tattoos today are gotten for all kinds of reasons, the majority of which have nothing to do with that ancient Near Eastern. I'm going to tattoo myself so, so Baal sees me and hears my cries. Right? 2023, don't walk in the customs of the nations that I am driving out before you because they did all these things listed, 18 through 20. And I detested them because they were causing harm. Right? And so, these laws have a lot to say to us. <laughs> I give you categories. When God tells you what to do, uh, in, in the law, he's also saying, I am calling you to live this way so that you might be a blessing to your neighbors around you. Um, we need one more category, and then we can talk about love your neighbor. Right? Historically, Christians have divided up the law into three categories. Um, the moral law, how we should live, the ceremonial law, uh, having to do with worship, right? The tabernacle, the sacrifices, the priests, all that stuff. And the judicial laws, um, how the court system should work in, the, in Israel's life together, right? And so the moral law is summed up in the Ten Commandments uh, that tell us how to live in relationship with God and with one another. And actually in Leviticus 19, all ten of the Ten Commandments were referred to or alluded to or directly quoted. Um, the moral law doesn't go away because if God never changes. But the ceremonial law about the priests, the sacrifices, um, all these particular uh, worship commands, that was last time sermon, right? They all pointed to Jesus, his suffering, his death, and because he died once for all, we're being consistent that because Jesus rose from the dead, those worship laws change to make sense of the risen Jesus. Right? We're set free from those laws, but they still teach us about what Jesus did. 
And then the judicial laws are different because Israel was a political nation uh, with a, a human king under God's divine rule where uh, religion and politics were knotted together by design. And so there's all kinds of case laws. There's all kinds of commands how to punish and deal with particular situations. And we go, I didn't live there. How do I respond to this? And uh, so what we do is we say we look at them and look for the general principles of justice in them and say, what can we learn from it? Right? How do I say this carefully? Most Christians are not seeking to set up a kingdom where we go back to Old Testament judicial laws. Most. <laughs> That's why they... You, we can talk about it later if you want to push back, but most. <laughs> right? We're not trying to institute death penalties for people being immoral. Right? That, that's just not the logic of the Bible. Right? I mean, in 1920, sin shows up in all kinds of different ways. There's about a, a guy who, who sleeps with a woman who's a slave who was promised to marry someone else. Right? That is a very specific case law. And so it says, here's what you should do. They should not be put to death because she was not free. Um, but they should bring your compensation to the Lord. You should also offer offerings for guilt. Um, and then if you do all that, you'll be forgiven for the sin that this, this man committed. All right? So you go, what do I learn from that? Um, well, both the man and woman are found guilty. It says they shall not be put to death. That's unique in the ancient world. That, that, that adultery was applied to both men and women. Um, you find out that it's making sense of the, the now relational problem. You have a wounded fiancé, so to speak. He needs compensated for, for the bride price he's already paid. So that, that's a judicial command. They're working that out. And it's also ceremonial. It's, it's you've offended a holy God by your actions, so therefore bring an offering for your sin that the Lord may forgive you. Right? It takes a lot of work to pull all this out, but the categories help you. Ceremonial. Is this about worship? Is it moral? Tell me how I should live. Or is it judicial, talking about a specific case? Oh, those are really helpful categories. Uh, the, our confession gives more detail in chapter 19. But uh, all of them overlap because it's about life lived in the presence of God before Jesus. So, are we hypocrites for wearing cotton blend t-shirts? <laughs> uh, no, because that was a particular law aimed at Israel's particular context. And in Israel's context, only the priests were supposed to wear blended materials. Not t-shirts, obviously. <laughs> right? And so the law was given to say, we, don't want, we want the priests to have their particular role to represent the people, heaven and earth. Right? We don't want ordinary people impersonating priests and getting themselves in trouble uh, by walking into places they don't belong because God is holy and he cannot dwell with sin. Uh, right? So... That was a law uh, organizing the chaos of Israel, protecting ordinary people. We're just, it just takes a lot of work, and that's the hard part. 
to, to, me to meditate on these things, to, to evaluate and figure out what, what category they fit in. So, since it's completely consistent within the logic of the Bible story to say I need to love my neighbor as myself, uh, commanded by God, reinforced by Jesus, let's look at this text. Right? We're, we're set free to love our neighbors while wearing cotton blend t-shirts and eating bunnies and bacon. Right? <laughs> Jesus set us free. Um, Right? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Look at verse 17. It says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then again in verse 33, in case you have a question who your neighbor is, it says, when a stranger, someone of non-Jewish lineage, right, coming from another country, comes into your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, because, or for, you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So, what kind of community is God after? A community of loving law keepers. Right. And so here's the love test. Who are you struggling to deal and bear with right now? Right. I mean, it's impossible to read this passage and not think of somebody. Um, if you're not, give it time, you will. <laughs> um, right, and so I know I'm going to this is like poking a bee's nest in some ways, but that's what we as elders are here for, um, to work towards reconciliation, right? If you need help and prayer for a particular neighbor that you're battling to love, we're happy to pray with you, happy to give counsel, wisdom, even mediate if need be. Um, right? this, is, this is a community, life to live together. But look at, look at, the, look at how hard this is. You should not hate your brother or sister uh, in your heart. Right? This isn't just behavior. This is what, what's actually going on in your head and inside of you. It's internalizing the command to love. Jesus didn't make this up. This is in the Old Testament. Right? I know it's really easy to say, I don't hate them. I'm just quietly dreaming of all the ways I hope their life becomes miserable. <laughs> right? That's hating your brother in your heart. I mean, second, you notice if you put verse 33 and 34 next to the command to love your neighbor as yourself, you can hear the echo here. Who is your neighbor? Whoever is near you, whether they look like you or not. Um, right? It's for the stranger, even, for the refugee, someone of different ethnic background. Right? I mean, Israel and the church... <laughs> What we're not able to do is say, oh, well, they're not with us, so we can be against them. I'm set free to hate them. No. The law covers that. You shall love the stranger as yourself because you know what it's like to be a stranger, what it's like to be an outsider. You know what it's like to suffer injustice. Therefore, treat them as you would want yourself to be treated. 
And to, to do this, you also need to not um, just sit and stew indefinitely over the wrong that has been committed against you. It says, I want you to go reason frankly with your neighbor. And in the Hebrew, it's I want you to uh, go persuade, persuade. It uses the same verb twice in a row. This is saying, no, I, I want you to argue and persuade and fight and communicate. And, right? This is just this like intensifying of not just, yeah, you've hurt me. It's not just one conversation. It's go talk to them. Right? It's saying make the first move towards reconciliation as the one who's been wounded. Why? Lest you incur sin against yourself. And that is interesting. <laughs> and and uh, really difficult because it's saying, do not let the sin of your brother or sister against you become a reason or a justification to sin yourself. Right? It's so easy to do this, right? You've wounded me. I have the right to wound you. You've cut me off. I'm going to cut you off. Um, it's just life on the north way. <laughs> right? I mean, it just doesn't, doesn't take much imagination to see how this devolves and goes up in flames really quickly. Because right? the alternative is vengeance and grudges. Where everybody just sits in their corner and never turns to face each other again. Right? Don't hold on to a grudge especially against, or in particular, against the sons of your own people. And that is the language of saying, how can you stay angry forever? You should not stay angry forever with someone who is family. Israel is ethnically and biologically children of Abraham. We're, we're all family. Right? Therefore, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't hold on to the hurt. Forgive. Which is another way of saying, put as much effort into loving those around you as you do into loving yourself. Right? I mean, that, it just assumes our selfish nature, <laughs> that we, we think of ourselves more than anything else. Right? And what it's also going after is saying, do not let anger or this injustice rule over you. Love the Lord, your neighbor as yourself. Why? I am the Lord. What do we say? Well, I'm mad. I'm hurt. I have a right to be angry. Injustice is my Lord. All right? And I know this is hard, right? Frederick Buchner has this great quote to say that of all the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun to lick your wounds, smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll your tongue over the prospect of bitter confrontations to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it's a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. <laughs> See, that command, love your neighbors yourself, to go reason, frankly, saying you have a choice to forgive 
because you know the Lord, or be ruled over by anger that ultimately only harms you, on top of offending the God who's commanded you to do this. All right? Israel, why should, why should, if you're Israel, you're saying, why should I do this? Well, what, what is God's character like? Let's use our categories. Right? The Lord is the, the kind of God who does not hold grudges. Psalm 103.9, the Lord does not hold on to his anger forever. It's the same words as holding on to a grudge. The Lord does not hold on to grudges forever. Instead, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. So as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy, his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he removes our transgressions from us. You should do this because this is what God is like. Second, you should do this because you were slaves in Egypt. You know what it's like to suffer, to be wronged. And since you know the pain of being wronged, have some empathy and treat the stranger as you would want to be treated. Right? It's remember what, remember what God delivered you from. Put yourself in their shoes and say, how would I want to be treated? And these are Old Testament tools. We haven't even gotten to Jesus yet. <laughs> Now, isn't this the kind of community you would want to be a part of? This is how we're going to wind down here and conclude, right? Where everybody is honest, we confess our sin every week, right? that we're not going to live up to this. And we're also saying, I am committed to reason frankly with you, to work towards reconciliation, that we might love one another as we love ourselves. This is a, a loving, law-keeping community. That's the ideal. Of course, the problem is reality in our hearts. So how do you actually do this? All right, I'm thinking about uh, getting ready for this. I listened to a sermon by Martin Lloyd-Jones on this passage on, on the New Testament, uh, Jesus quoting this. And you know what he said? This is, he sounds just like us today. He's, he's pastoring it through World War II in the 1960s in London. He said, you know what everybody's saying? I don't care about your theology. How do we love our neighbors? How are we going to fix the racial conflicts in the world? Apartheid, America. Um, how do we stop wars? In that case, it was India and Pakistan. We could swap Russia and Ukraine. Right? And what he's saying is, and what every generation is saying, we know we should love our neighbor. How do you actually do it? Right. And the world is saying, let's make love your neighbor as a priority, and it's clearly not working. People fall apart. Relationships break. Right. And so what Jesus had that conversation in Mark 12, and a scribe comes to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment? And he boils it down to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And What the scribe says is, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that the Lord is one. There's no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart, all the understanding, with all the strength, to love your neighbor as yourself is better. It's more than any sacrifice you could give for sin. It's more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And you know what Jesus says to him? You're not far from the kingdom of God. 
you're still not in. Right? And I, I think what Jesus is getting at is, right, you know it would be so much better than having to slay all kinds of animals or like the pagans, harm yourself. Is somebody actually love their neighbor? And that if you, O oh scribe, O oh Bible, Bible teacher, were to obey the law of love, love God, love your neighbor, um, it's more significant, more life-changing, but you're still not in just because you know that. Uh, what's he got to do? Well, we need somebody to obey, uh, to, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor, and that's, that's what gets us in because if, if the Bible nerds, and really everybody who knows this, can't get in knowing what they should do, what about us normal people? And so look at Christ. This is what the gospel tells you, to, that he fulfilled the law of love, loving God and loving your neighbor, his neighbor as himself. And you know what he did? He came down from heaven to earth to reason frankly with us. That's what the gospel story is about. You know, Isaiah would say, come now, let us argue together. Let us reason together. Though your sins are make you like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They'll be red like crimson. They shall become white as wool. Right? If, if we'll just talk about it, God will forgive. Come talk about it. And Israel was so stubborn, they said, nope. And so God had to draw near to us to reason frankly with us, to say you need someone not only to give a better offering, but also to, to live a life of love that you can never live on your own so that Jesus can say, you're in the kingdom of God. And how did he do that? Well, the Lord of love, Yahweh himself, became human in the person of Jesus Christ, and he dwelt among us, and he loved us to death on a cross, bearing the curse we deserve, deserve for our lovelessness and raised from the dead to give us the spirit of love so that we might actually be empowered to love one another as he first loved us. Right? By this we know love, says First John. He laid down his life for us as well as keeping the commandments. Right? And so, to tie all this together, right? if God has not held on to a grudge against you, he's forgiven you in Christ Jesus at great cost to himself, how much clearer picture do we have of seeing what God has delivered us from? And he says, if you've been moved to the bottom of your soul by that reality, Go love the way I've loved you. And that means we're going to be a community that is reconciled to God first, right? Get your priorities straight. God first, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ in particular. You can't try this without knowing Jesus. But the second part is we're going to be a community that reconciles with one another. And we'll be a community that reconciles with our neighbors so that they might see Christ in us and maybe even be persuaded to follow him as they see their own sin. That's the mission we've been planted here to do. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, this is a, a high call. 
And as we hear it, we, we know we are not perfect as you are perfect, and yet you have made us holy in Christ. And so may the gospel make order out of the chaos of our hearts and, and heal and bring reconciliation to our broken relationships. And we know that this is something that requires you to do the work in us and in those around us, and we pray you would graciously do that. If there are those here who... Um, who are trying to love their neighbor without knowing you, I pray that they would see you in the face of Jesus Christ, laying down his life for them, and that that would move them and us to love one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.